Welcome to episode number six of our podcast series, The Paper Trail from the Netherlands Journal of Geosciences. My name is Henk Kombrink, and in my position as the editor-in-chief, I'm asking authors of papers published in our journal about the highlights of their research, but also the driving forces behind performing the study. Just to make research papers more accessible and giving authors a platform to tell a bit more about what goes on behind the scenes of writing scientific papers. In this episode, I'm talking to Phil Gibbert. Phil is a well-known quaternary geologist whose interests revolve around Pleistocene geology and paleogeographical and paleoenvironmental reconstructions. He recently published a paper in our journal on the luminescence dating of Pleistocene glacial sediments in eastern England. And the full title of the paper is Luminescence Dating of a Late Middle Pleistocene Glacial Advance in Eastern England. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much. Nice to have you. Um, as I said, you're a well-known quaternary geologist and uh, you've published a lot over the years. But is this actually the first time you're doing a podcast on the basis of a paper you published? Yes, indeed, it is uh, quite an exciting idea, I think, to, to uh, give some background to the study and the investigations and how it came about, etc., etc. Indeed. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, so, yeah, the paper you, you wrote is about um, an area in England uh, and it's in Anglia. So can you maybe, for, for those listeners who are not fully aware where Anglia is, can you just set the scene a bit? Yeah, well, in fact, the area is called East Anglia. And of course, in many languages, Anglia would be equivalent to England. But in in Britain, we refer to East Anglia as being the region which is rather shaped like an ear um, on the eastern side of our island, which is, it's mainly um, the area of uh, Norfolk, the counties of Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire. And uh, it's uh, bordered, of course, on the north and east side by the North Sea. Um, so it's it's a particularly um, characteristic region. It has it's it's it has it's very low. It doesn't have any high ground really. The highest point is right at the, in the south near Essex, uh, where where the which reaches over a hundred meters. But for most of the yeah. area, it's well below that. And uh, generally, the level is around about 30, 40 meters. But there is this area of the Fenland where we've done a great deal of work, which is on the uh, which is on the western side of East Anglia, mm -hmm. um, south of of that kind of bite out of the coast, which is called um, the Wash. Yes. And this is a very interesting area because it's mostly below sea level and uh, is well, it looks a little bit like the Netherlands, in fact, and is uh, was drained, in fact, by Dutch uh um, Dutch engineers in the in the 18th century. Um, so this is a very characteristic area and uh, um, and one that's been um, a focus of research for quite a long time, um, possibly uh, as much as uh, a century or more. In, and by research, I mean geological research. Yeah. 
it it was actually one of my questions I wanted to ask a little bit later, but let's let's do that now because Finland, to me, being Dutch, it sounds a bit like then. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the same word, of course. Yeah, like <laughs> a, a low light. Oh, it's a bit of a depression where where there's a bit of water occasionally. Yeah, that's how I I would translate it. But is that kind of what what the association is, Fen? That's absolutely correct. Yes, like Fein. Yeah, like Fein. And, okay. and uh, <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's um, an area which before the drainage was very much uh, a marshland and uh, ha- has uh, and was very uh, impenetrable, in fact. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the area has, uh, uh, it was very low lying and, and basically below sea level um, and so was therefore inundated by uh, the sea during the Roman period. And there is actually evidence that during the, the, the period that the Romans were, were in Britain, the area was actually a, 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 an embayment of the, of the sea. But um, in, encroachment of peat and, uh, uh, and uh, fluvial river sediments um, yeah. drove the sea out towards right. the end of the, of the Roman period. And it, it became a, a basically a, a marshland. Um, but there are... Um, Within the marshland, there are uh, islands of uh, slightly higher ground, and uh, of course, they've they, these uh, these higher areas are are not marshland, but they are they're made of of gravel, sand, and glacial materials, and are uh, um, provided the foundation for um, some uh, towns within the Fenland area. The, the most famous is the is the so-called Isle of Ely where there's a very large cathedral um, which dominates the whole region. It's like a giant ship sitting and it's in called, in fact, it's called the ship of the Fens because you can, it looks like a ship from a distance and you can see it from a very long way because the ground, of course, is very flat and um, uh, um, with, with just very, uh, hardly any trees because of it. it's, it's an important agricultural area. Yeah. But it was the area was which uh, which which was basically impenetrable, rather like I suppose the the rivers region of of the Netherlands maybe, uh, and uh, um, until it was drained yeah. uh, by Dutch engineers, as I said, and uh, and the result now is that uh, it, it's it's a very important agricultural area with very rich soils, yeah. um, and. Uh, um, Basically, it's it's an area of quite low population, but but uh, nevertheless uh, an important area for, as I say, for agriculture. Yeah. Cool. That really sets the scene. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let let's go a bit um, further back in in history and talk about the Pleistocene. Right. Uh, so so your paper, um, I think, deals with events that took place. In a, in a phase you call the the Wolstonian stage. Yeah. Um, can you kind of put that into in, into age context a bit? What what because not many people may be familiar with the Wolstonian in the Netherlands. So where to, where to put that in in time? Yes, I understand. I mean, it, we there's there's a number of issues here really. Um, we have to go back, in fact, to 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 the work of, of your Dutch colleagues from at the end at the end of the 
Second World War. It was a particularly important work by Van der Vleck and Florschutz, which is a, a book which some of you may be familiar with. Fantastic book, which and which 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 you know made clear that the previous stratigraphy of of the Quaternary, uh, which had been based up to that point principally on the work of Penck and Bruckner from the Alps, where yeah. uh, who recognised four major glaciations with interglacials between them, based on the Alpine sequence, particularly uh, on the river valley systems coming northwards um, uh, from the Alps into the lowland areas of Germany and Austria. It increasingly became obvious, particularly to Dutch workers and, and as I say, Van der Vleck in, in principle, um, uh, who that, that there was more to the quaternary sequence than just these four oscillations. And I think obviously he was familiar with the sequences over in the east of the Netherlands, where um, you see, you know, a much longer um, older deposits um, preserved. Um, and in and at that time, I think it became obvious that that it would it, that people should leave behind this Penck and Bruckner scheme and develop local schemes for different regions. On the continent, in the Netherlands, Germany, and related countries, you have you know continuity of landscape, and so you can recognise, let's say, uh, individual glaciations such as the Vaxelian, Zalian. Yeah or the Elsterian across regions, just across the artificial human barriers. But in Britain, partially because our, you know, we always think of ourselves as separate from the continent, be that good or bad. Um, but also, I think, because, you know, as a, as a reaction to this, in, you know, um, application of a system of, of classifications from Penck and Bruckner, which clearly didn't work very well either here. Mm -hmm. um, we established, well, I didn't establish, I was still at school, but but my predecessors, like Richard West, for example, established um, uh, a, a, a chronology um, based on, you know, just on these islands and um, with the idea that we could, if you establish your local sequence, you can be sure you know how that works and then you can correlate to the neighboring countries or to the oceans or wherever um, in that way. So the, that's why I had to go back in time to explain that, really. Yeah. And, the, and the terms, um, the, the major glaciations we have in the that we've recognized in, in Britain, particularly in eastern Britain, actually, uh, are that we have three major glacial periods. The Anglian, which is equivalent to Elsterian, so that's about 450 to 400,000 years ago. And we have the, uh, the Vaxelian equivalent, which is which we call Devensian in this country. Yeah. And that, of course, is the last glaciation. So peaking at around 20,000 or a little bit earlier. And then we have this 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 third glaciation or the one in the middle, if you like, which would be equivalent to Zalian, which which for which the the name Wollstonian was coined, and uh, this name was coined by Professor Fred Shotton, who was the head of geology at uh, the University of Birmingham for many years. 
he is a very significant figure. He's also worked on the Triassic, by the way, but that's a side issue. Um, and uh, he he recognised that in the in the West Midlands area of Britain, so that's Birmingham, Coventry, rugby area. He he wrote a very classic paper actually, which was published in 1953, which is really a very excellent piece of work, which is you know modern in style, even in the 1950s. So. Uh, uh, um, and he, 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 as a consequence of his efforts, he recognised this intermediate glaciation called Wollstonian. The name Wollstonian comes from the village of Wollstone, which is near Coventry in Warwickshire. Right. So the, uh, uh, but but um, you want me to continue, or would you like to? Ask? Yeah, no, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well. Um, in eastern England, East Anglia, as, as, as we've discussed, uh, the most extensive glaciation is is our Anglian glaciation, uh, which is equivalent to the continental Elsterian. And uh, by my saying that it's the most extensive, it, it, it covers the whole. The ice will have covered the whole of East Anglia and in fact extended almost to the modern Thames Valley. It extended into central London, into not central London, northern London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, areas around London. It extended to Ipswich, which is on the coast. Um, and uh, it was therefore a major glaciation. It's the first of the um, major terrestrial glaciations for which we have direct evidence. Um, and uh, it's uh, immediately pre Hoxnian, which is the interglacial, which we recognize. Where, where deposits of which fill Kettlehole lakes yeah. in in the till, and uh, Hoxnian is equivalent to Holsteinian on the continent, yeah. or Nadian as it used to be in the Netherlands, and uh, 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 and so that is very very clearly controlled. We know the age of that glaciation very well, and it's uh, about 450 to 400,000, as I've said. It's equivalent in the marine isotope stratigraphy to marine isotope stage 12. Yes. We have direct evidence of that. Then we have this, after the interglacial, the Hoxnian, we have a long period which which is poorly represented actually throughout throughout the whole region, throughout most of our island. And is that the reason why in the paper you, for instance, say there is controversy regarding the number extender relationships? of glacial sequences in Anglia? Yes. It's a it's a curious it's curious because our next major interglacial, although additional ones have been suggested within this long period, but if we then jump to the Emian or Amian equivalent, yeah. which we call Ipswichian, which is based on a site near Ipswich, obviously, uh, which is mainly seen, deposits of this interglacial are mainly seen in river valleys. We know that the river valley system, which we have today, formed during this long cold period, called, which we've called Wollstonian, intermediate between Hoxnian and Ipswichian. And that period appears to be about 250,000 years long, mm-hmm. slightly more actually, some claim. And uh, so it's a long period of time. But the so the Ipswichian deposits, the Emian equivalent, occur in the bottom of the modern river valleys, whereas the 
Holsteinian equivalents, the older interglacial, occur in lake deposits on top of interflues. Oh. So we have a long period of erosion where these uh, lake deposits become isolated on the on the surface of interflues and the last interglacial deposits occur in the bottoms of the valleys of the rivers. Right. So it's a kind of inverse stratigraphy. Absolutely. Yeah. But then you can ask, well, what was going on during this long mm -hmm. cold period? And this long cold period appears, therefore, to re to represent um, isotope stages 10, 9, 8, 7 and 6. And of course, the marine ice, the marine sequences have shown us how long that period is. But Schotten's glaciation, the one I mentioned in the Midlands, must occur somewhere in that in in that interval. Right. Now we didn't know where in that interval it occurred until we started to get access to numerical age dating. Not C14, because, of course, that yeah. runs out in the middle of the last glacial period, about 30,000 years ago. So we needed other methods of dating. Yeah. And, uh, of course, what we ha have, have attempted to use and apply in our case, in our paper, was uh, um, optically stimulated luminescence with my colleagues Mark uh, and um, Jane up in Sheffield University, yes. specialists in optically stimulated luminescence dating and uh, and uh, um, we set out to determine the age of the glacial deposits in general in this country not just in our own area um, yep. but uh, uh, also across the area the country um, to to determine where in this uh, phase the glaciation occurred and 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 you were really looking at this uh, at well it, it's a phase w within what you call the Wollstonian, so within the Salian as we call it in the Netherlands. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. <laughs> and, and 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 this it was a kind of a tongue that kind of advanced a bit further than the ice sheet surrounding into the Fenlands. Is that a correct way of saying it? Absolutely, that's perfectly correct. Well, this this is quite um, odd because, uh, you know, this this glaciation has always been problematic because although in the Midlands area we have um, diamicton till mm -hmm. direct glacial sediment in eastern England, um, there is no uh, there is. Well, there is. No, that's wrong. That's not there's no till, but there's very patchy spread of glacial material. OK. And why is that? Well, well I, you... think, I think it's the same reason that you have in the Netherlands. If you think about the situation in the Netherlands, you have the ice push ridges, Amersfoort and Nijmegen and so on. Um, and you have the basins like the like Amsterdam and, and, and so on. And uh, <coughs> you don't have any till except up in Drenthe, yeah. you know. And I think we have precisely the same situation. We don't have much till, but we have evidence 
of ice pushed ridges, meltwater discharge landforms, and uh, uh, and so on. And I, I think it's partially a result. This lobe, which you, you you mentioned, which which entered the Fenland, I think it's um, partially to do with the nature of the substrate, yeah. because the main rocks which underlie the Fenland are Mesozoic clays from the Kimmeridge clay, Oxford clay, and Amptio clay, and I think the ice was able to um, uh, advance rapidly over this clay bedrock um, where which held up the groundwater which held up the so, so the ice was lubricated it moved down the um, down the, the the side of the North Sea and through Lincolnshire and when it entered the Fenland it was able to advance rapidly and expand it fan out to fill the area which is underlain by these Mesozoic clays. What stopped it advancing further, I think, is that the chalk bedrock, which rises um, immediately to the east and south of the um, Fenland, and to the west, we have um, Mesozoic sandstones and limestones, which again form higher ground. So the ice was, as it were, um, restricted to this Fenland basin. And, and if you look at the advance of the ice, it effectively follows the strike of the Mesozoic clays. And these clays, of course, were also quarried by the ice and, and the material was uh, removed. So we think the Fenland basin actually is, um, is a glacial tongue basin, which is formed by erosion as the ice advanced. Shall which is yeah which is in a way similar to what you see in Amsterdam in the Amsterdam basin and in these basins just north of the Icebush ridges in in the Utrecht area as well yeah this is striking I, it struck me very forcefully because I you know I'm familiar with the sequences in the Netherlands and uh, um and and uh, it, it suddenly occurred to me that the 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 the, the, the um characteristic advance of the ice um, seems to have been virtually the same on both sides of the North Sea. And of course, this makes sense, because if you think about the fact that the North Sea probably didn't exist, um, at least in its present form, um, when the ice was advancing, you know, you would have low sea level. Um, therefore, the North Sea was dry land. And uh, um, uh, certainly the southern and central part of the North Sea where we live. And uh, so the ice was 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 just sliding southwards. The other thing that made makes me uh, always um, uh, interested me was that I think it was um, um, oh I forgot his name um, your your colleagues uh, who uh, um, I think it was Yap van der Meer but also um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I, that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> you forget things. It happens to me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was always discussion that the advance of ice into the Netherlands, and initially, was deflected by the fact that the ice sheet um, was confluent with British ice, which forced the ice into the Netherlands area. That means there must have been ice in Britain as well. Um, and 
Of course, therefore, we ask ourselves, right, where was it? Well, let's see if we can find it. Yes. Um, but we didn't set out to find it. Um, it in fact, it was it was uh, really serendipitous that we uh, that I was invited to go to look at a, a, an excav archaeological excavations at a site in Suffolk. Now, Suffolk is 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 not far from Cambridge. It's about uh, half an hour's drive from here to the east. And it's on the edge of the Fenland. It's on this fen, what we call the Fenland margin, the higher ground on the chalk. Mm -hmm. Right. And I went to this site uh, back in, oh, uh, when was it? Uh, it must have been around about the early 2000s. Anyway, I, I, I went to this site and um, the excavations were going on. And I looked at these deposits, which were said to be fluvial, and they were said to be early, early Middle Pleistocene. Um, when I started looking at them, I, I started scratching my head and the few people I was with and I said, these aren't these aren't fluvial deposits. These are delta deposits. And it was very clear that, that you know, it, uh, the characteristic large scale forsets and uh, facies assemblage, you know, bottom set, forset, top set. It was all there to be seen. And uh, um, I, I, I this. This um, made me realize that what we were looking at was um, ice marginal sedimentation, because not only were these delta deposits containing local rock material, but they also contained balls of glacial sediment, um, which had been transported and and even flows of glacial sediment. As we look more and more at these at these features, and there is a whole series of them isolated up the eastern side of the Fenland, it became clear that, that some of them were even glacially tectonic, glacial tectonically deformed. They'd been overridden partially mm. by the ice or the ice had ridden up against them. This should be familiar to you because it's just like around Utrecht. And uh, this and, and not only that, but you have windblown sand in the Veluva area. And we also have windblown sand in what in the area which we which we call the Breckland, which is also mm. on the edge of the Fenland. So. It, the match is becoming extraordinary, you know, coincidence, as it were. And, and this really, so you were invited to this excavation and prior to that, you, you had no idea that these sediments were actually, or could have been ice marginal, well, yeah. uh, ice margin deposits. It was yeah. thought to be fluvial and, yeah. and much older. Yeah, correct. They had been identified as glacial previously. I can't claim to be the first person to have noticed that. Okay. Uh, they were in the 1930s. A worker called Solomon had had said they were glacial, but uh, more recently, the work of Jim Rose and his colleagues from, um, um, well, he uh, Royal Holloway College in London uh, had had um, instead mapped these deposits and the other patches along the eastern side of the Fenland. Uh, as part of a river system, which he'd called Br the Bytham River. And he'd related this to um, uh, deposits further east in East Anglia, which are pre-glacial. And therefore, he'd said they were early middle Pleistocene. Mm -hmm. The more we looked at this, the more we thought this didn't make sense because yeah. and he, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd done some very good work, but he had he had mistakenly identified these these sequences as 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 fluvial. Right. And it has a significance because beyond the geology, too, because these deposits 
the ones which I originally identified, I told, I'd mentioned they were archaeological excavations, and that's because hand axes had been found in them. And these hand axes are early, uh, no, early Middle Ashurlian, I think. I think I've got that right. And, um, you know, therefore, if the deposits were early Middle Pleistocene, these were very early artifacts, but they're actually quite advanced artifacts, if I understand correctly. I'm no archaeologist, I should make that clear, but um, archaeologists have looked at these things and they, 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 were, they were puzzled by the fact that they were apparently quite sophisticated, you know, artifacts. Um, but uh, uh, giving them an early middle Pleistocene age seemed wrong. And once we said, oh, no, these are deltaic and we begin to suspect that they're much younger, uh, that fell into place. It made much more sense. But up till recently, we, we didn't have very good age control on these deposits. And this right. is why we embarked on the dating. We had a number of sites. I'd worked with my professor, Richard West, uh, um, on a site up near the town of Kings Lynn, which is at the northern end of the Fenland mm -hmm. and uh, just on the margin of the Fenland. And we worked on a site there uh, where there are were again deltaic type deposits which we published in 1992 in the geological magazine which overlie holsteinian marine clays filling a, a tunnel valley in the area in turn these uh, so-called deltaic deposits a, a site called totten hill um are, oh, had a, a, a a fossil soil developed in the in the surface of these deposits uh, and the fossil soil which we did not investigate but was investigated by Jim Rose and his colleagues was said to be last interglacial in age so we could bracket the glaciation of the area because these deltaic deposits were glacial um, between again the Ipswichian interglacial of the yeah. soil and the marine clays which are Holsteinian so again, we had relative age control, but not direct age control. And the age dates you ultimately got did confirm your thinking, did they? Yes, yes they did. And uh, we had always assumed um, that, or let's say strongly suspected, <coughs> that the glaciation would have to be late in the interglacial, in the glacial period, sorry. Mm -hmm before the last interglacial because uh, of their position in the landscape. Mm. And there'd been a couple of independent OSL determinations, one by Ed Rhodes, who's now at Sheffield University, and one by uh, a, a student of, of, of Jim Rhodes, actually, Steve Pawley, who'd, who'd sampled our Totten Hill deposits. Mm. And he, they, they both come to the conclusion that they got ages around about 160,000 years ago. 160,000. Yeah. Now, those were early dates. They were done by techniques which probably modern workers would consider are not, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they could use more better techniques nowadays. Yeah. But at the, t at the time, this led us to, you know, think more and more and more about um, the the deposits being um, comparable to those you have on the eastern side of the North Sea. Yes. And um, so we thought that 
now we have to we have to try to do some dating. And I I got I got a grant from um, I, when I retired, I got a special grant from the Leverhulme Foundation. Very generous of them. Not a huge amount of money, but enough to pay for some dates. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I approached Mark Bateman up in Sheffield, who uh, we work with quite a lot already on other topics. And uh, Mark uh, agreed to do the dating for us. And so we set out and, and sampled a series of these sites down the eastern side of the Fenland, yeah. including uh, um, including one of the sites, which is, is called Shuldum, which was um, a site which was said to be the type section of these early middle Pleistocene river deposits. Which and, you now proved to be slightly different than that. <laughs> yes. there are, the, the dates the dates are quite variable, but they appear to range from the oldest dates we got were just over two hundred thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and the uh, youngest. Well, we got some one or two dates which are uh, in the Devensian, which are actually reworked Aeolian sands. Right. But in between the glacial deposits, Sensius stricto. We got ages which range between 180 and 160,000 years. And which, which nicely links to events, as you say, uh, as happened, as unfolded, as were unfolding around the same time in the Netherlands and and, and Germany, I suppose. Yes, exactly. And yeah. and although uh, um, you know we didn't set out to get those dates, we got we set out to test the idea that these. Yeah. Uh, deposits were of the same age because yes. you know in terms of physiology in terms of position in the landscape these things um we suspected that they were of that age and we we had these preliminary numbers which i've already mentioned and the dates came out as we suspect as we suspected they would they're rather variable but then you are dealing with glacial sediment yes and uh, um well, we feel that, that in our article, which has been published in the NKK, um, uh, uh, has confirmed uh, yeah. confirmed our thinking. Yeah. And, and uh, we will. Our plan is now to continue um, with uh, more dating. Um, I have a research student who's been working, he's finished his PhD recently, been working in the Midlands area. And he has also been dating Shotton's classical sequence from that region. And he's uh, I don't think I'm telling any secrets when I say he's coming out with the same kind of numbers as us. There you uh, go. So I think we are uh, we've advanced the cause quite a lot, in fact, in this respect and uh, given a much more clear picture about the idea of when this ice uh, advance happened uh, and, and, and um, its implications in the landscape, of course. Indeed. Phil. I must say I did have a lot more questions, but we are talking for more than half an hour already. <laughs> Talk more if you want to. I still have time. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, well, I think you know to keep the consistency between podcasts. I think this is probably we reached the point where we can probably draw a conclusion. Okay. Uh, you've already alluded to research that is currently being done, which is good. That's something to look forward to being published as well. I hope so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, one question I still want to ask is, is, is apart from because you, you have been very active for decades and, and, and although you're emeritus now, you're still very involved. 
Um, what are the main things you are currently working on as well, uh, besides the student you already um, mentioned? Well, recently, I mean, uh, we, we've we've been compiling uh, evidence of of glacial extent and glacial uh, activity uh, across uh, Europe. I've been part of a group which has published quite a large new volume, which uh, Elsevier are publishing. I think it's a, two volumes actually on on glaciation in Europe. Uh, that's uh, the first volume, I think, is out already, and the second volume will be published next uh, during the year. Um, but that's uh, 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 something which is I see as rather a continuation of what I did with my colleague Jürgen Ehlers uh, on glacial extent and chronology, which were published in the past. We published uh, two books together, as you probably know, 2004-2011. I've, as a consequence of COVID, I've not been able to do much field work, so I haven't been out very much. And but I've got such an um, a backlog of unpublished work. I can I can keep going for years if, if I can keep the energy up, you know. But uh, obviously that that that's uh, uh, something which we'll have to see. Um, yes. I'm still very interested in the early middle Pleistocene, and I'm I'm uh, working with a number of people across. Europe as part of our European project on the early middle Pleistocene sequences. I think that's, if, if you don't mind me saying so, I think the early middle Pleistocene is about the most, is the poorly, poorest known part of our sequence, but it's also the most fascinating because mm. it spans the early, you know, the, the middle Pleistocene transition from, from the uh, pre-glacial, if you like, from a European perspective, 40,000 year cyclicity of the early Pleistocene mm-hmm. through to the transition to the classical glacial Pleistocene about which we've been talking today. Um, we, we certainly plan to uh, try to improve on, on the uh, strategi- stratigraphy and environmental evolution during that period, if we can. Um, it's a bit overdue, really. Yeah. And the only other thing I've been doing before you shut me up is I've been spending a lot of time in the last um, half a year on the Anthropocene question. Uh, and that's because I'm a stratigrapher and that's something which is uh, um, needs to be sorted out, if you don't mind me saying so. <laughs> I guess this this may even be the topic of another podcast. Yes, it may. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for asking me to speak. It was kind of you, and uh, I hope this is of interest to your listeners. I'm sure it will, Phil. Um, you're a very good speaker, oh. as it turned out. So <laughs> I'm sure this will be of interest. Um, uh, so, yeah, Phil, thanks again for taking out your time today to, to talk about the work you published and everything you're involved in. Um, this was episode number six of the Paper Trail. I hope you enjoy uh, listening to this and uh, see you next time. Thanks again, Phil. Thank you. Bye. Bye.